Okay, I think I'm finally settled in with four blankets. Oh, thank you, Chrissy. Yeah, no problem. Want more than an Italian house to come to to warm up in? Got the fireplace going? Do you guys need anything else? Um, this may be a little imposing, but uh, do you have any hot chocolate? Of course. I have regular white chocolate, milk, mint chocolate, caramel, mocha, moose crunch, turtle, and death by chocolate. Wow, that's that's a lot. Um, wouldn't by any chance be able to like give me a cookie with that, would you? Of course, sugar. We got sugar cookies, almond cookies, linzers, pastels, biscotti, gingerbread, Russian tea cookies, lemon meatballs, chocolate meatballs, cutouts, chocolate chip, Kahlua chip, and kuchadatis. What would you like? Uh, how about some alcohol? <laughs> I have Drambuie, Bacardi, Bailey's, Peppermint Vodka, Jose Cuervo, Maker's Marks, E&J Vanilla, Bombay Sapphire, and Johnny Walker Blue. We picked the right place to crash. <laughs> uh, uh, how about a Mater D? It sounds like you need one here. <laughs> oh, you've never been to an Italian household before, <laughs> have you? There are too many cartoons, but they'll watch them all. The penny and James can sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm James Irish. And I'm Pembroke W. Corgi. Welcome once again to the Pemmy and James kind of, sort of, hopefully funny cartoon podcast. And joining us in the digital recording booth, a.k.a. her Italian household, please welcome Chrissy Harding. Hi, everyone! Yay! Yay! Well, I did have to dig you guys out of the snowstorm down in North Texas, and now you guys are up here in upstate New York. <laughs> yep, Christmas magic. <laughs> well, I definitely appreciate the warmness and being in the warm. <laughs> well, you're also very lucky that that the place comes we not that we have a fireplace that is roaring. So, not literally. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was going to say that's a lion-sized fireplace. Then, <laughs> <laughs> no, we don't have crunchy here with us. <laughs> Maybe next year. Oh, it would be fun to have Crunchy on here. Right now, as we record this, it's still Christmas time. I know when you are hearing this, it's likely going to be December 30th or afterward, but we're still very much in the Christmas spirit, and we decided we'd put in a couple more specials and just enjoy uh, some some more holiday cheer. It's close enough. It's not New Year's yet. Well, and also a lot of times, too. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but with my family, we're still kind of celebrating the holidays because you're still visiting other family members. You know, not everyone can make it in one place at the same time. So you kind of have to throw everyone in the car and drive to somebody's house to go exchange gifts with family members that can't make it to your house. Makes sense. Yeah. But the other motive behind this podcast is originally... We you know, we planned to do a big stop motion animation blowout for the for the holiday specials with both Rudolph and one of the two we're reviewing today, the Claymation Christmas Celebration. But when we discovered Rudolph was a whopping hour long, we realized we wouldn't be able to give the Claymation special the time it deserved and keep the podcast at a manageable length. After all, 
your time is valuable. Besides, we're not completely done with Rudolph, it seems. No, no, we're not. How many specials did that one get? Oh, that oh. One? <laughs> I was more referencing the fact that the Claymation show has a reference, does the Rudolph song as well. But yes, there are there was multiple later Rudolph specials as well. I think there's a crossover with uh, Frosty the Snowman at one point. There was, and it actually, that one, that special actually explains why his nose is red and glows. Wow. I haven't seen that one since I was eight, so I don't remember. <laughs> well, when I was, when I was actually looking up to watch these two, I kind of screwed up my YouTube algorithm, and now I literally got all of them. <laughs> wow. So I've been kind of binge watching uh, all of the old Christmas specials. And a lot of the old stop motions, like Little Drummer Boy, and all of the Rudolph and Frosties, and yeah, nothing tops the original. So, as I was saying, sorry, James. <laughs> since we now had the claymation special on its own, we decided let's pair it up with something. And I was doing a little quick research, and as it turned out. The Garfield Christmas special debuted the same day of the same year on the same network as the Claymation special. So, hey, it only made sense to pair them up. Sounds good to me. Yeah, because if I remember correctly, the Garfield special was first and then the Claymation special came after it. That's right. And that's the order we're going to tackle these two in. And it's appropriate these two were paired together because at this point in the 80s, both of these cultural forces jim davis's uh, comic strip garfield and will vinton's claymation were on the ascendancy mm-hmm. and we'll get into why for each one individually in their own due course so let's start with the infamous fat cat in the 80s garfield might have been the most merchandised comic strip character that wasn't part of the peanuts crew mm-hmm. and this was not an accident Creator Jim Davis saw the Snoopy market, figured, what about the cat lovers? And created the cat and his cartoonist owner, John Arbuckle. And actually, um, the original Garfield comic strip actually came out in the late 70s. Right. But, you know, it was in the 80s when it really started to peak. Mm-hmm. What year Dear, exactly did it start? Oh, I think... I know it was a few years, I know it was a year or two before I was born. Um, I actually have the date. 76. Oh, two years before I was born. Yeah. He started it, it started earlier. So he actually created it in 76, and it was originally published under the name as John. Um, but it actually went in nationwide syndication in 78, under the name Garfield. And the first thing actually introduces John Arbuckle and his cat Garfield. And I can tell you the joke where they introduce themselves. And John Arbuckle says, our only thought is to entertain you. And Garfield's thought is feed Feed me. (laughs) That's accurate. And Odie actually was not introduced much actually um, about a few years later in the comic strip. And he actually was not John's. He actually belonged to John's roommate, Lyman. Right. The dim-witted dog would uh, be passed on to John when Lyman would vanish from the strip roughly six years after he was introduced. Thereby leaving us with the main trio of characters most of the comic's gags are derived from. 
you do know what Jim Davis's response is whenever he gets asked what whatever happened to Lyman, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't look in John R. Buckle's basement. He does. He does say that, and a lot of and a lot of Garfield fans they they we still joke to this day. They still joke to this day what about Lyman, and what really happened to him. There's actually uh, one of the Garfield games made for computer actually has an Easter egg where you can find Lyman in John's basement. Mm-hmm. Um, so a more in-depth discussion of these characters will come when we eventually review the Saturday morning smash hit Garfield and Friends, which debuted on CBS the year after today's subject aired. Rest assured, not only is it, all together now, on the on list... The list. But it's on my personal short list for 2023. Yes, and someday I'm sure we'll also have to watch the terrible CG Garfield from the 2008s, or the from the 2000s, the Garfield show. Yeah, I'm going to bow out of that one. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the production company here. Film Roman was founded by Bill Melendez Productions veteran Phil Roman, specifically because the Melendez firm was quickly becoming overworked doing both Peanuts and Garfield productions, not to mention both strips creators expressing concerns about which properties should get the lion's share of the small studio's attentions. Melendez executive Mendelssohn offered the next Garfield special, Garfield in the Rough, to Roman, and they were off to the races. The Garfield Christmas special would be the seventh of 12 specials featuring the Fat Cat, and while it wasn't one of the four to win an Emmy Award, it being reran on CBS for over a decade since its debut has made it probably the best remembered. I, I gotta give Film Roman credit. They, they do a masterful job of keeping uh, Jim Davis's art style in animation. And not only is his art style preserved, but also his unique voice, because Davis wrote the script himself, and would admit that it was semi-autobiographical. He actually did say more recently in an interview where he corrected himself on semi, and he said, no, it was very, looking back, very autobiographical, and adding that this was his Christmas on the farm. He also, that's when he actually did state that Grandma was a completely fictional character. That it was not based on his actual grandma. What a shame! I know but Garfield is real. <laughs> Could you imagine? I I just remember watching it and just being like, "Man, that grandma's kick butt." My grandma's kick butt too, though. Let's see, I, I think in the Thanksgiving special, doesn't she come through the kitchen in a with a chainsaw or something? Yes. Oh my god, I forgot about the Thanksgiving special. That was awesome. <laughs> so at this point. The voice cast for the core characters has been firmly established. Lorenzo Music has been performing as Garfield since the first full-length special, Here Comes Garfield, using his sleepy, sardonic-sounding voice to give the proper, meh, attitude to this lazy, not-easily-impressed cat. I hate Mondays. (laughs) On this podcast, we last heard Lorenzo performing as Peter Venkman in The Real Ghostbusters with the exact same voice. I think he had a little I more hate pep in ghosts. his voice. <laughs> I honestly want to say he had a little more pep in his voice as Peter Venkman. Not a lot, just a little. I, I like his voice regardless. Um, every Almost every character I've heard Lorenzo Music play does the sort of 
variation on the Garfield voice, like because there's also like uh, Lieutenant Dunder on uh, on Tailspin, but he played Super Pac on the Pac Man cartoon, and in that he actually sounds. You can tell it's him, but it's still very different. Now, John Arbuckle is voiced by Tom Huge, a college friend of Jim Davis who voiced the character since the very first ad- animated appearance in the Fantastic Funnies, uh, barring the aforementioned first full special where CBS wanted an L.A.-based actor and John would be performed by Sandy Kenyon. I prefer Tom Hugh. He also does Roy Rooster and Binky the Clown on the Garfield and Friends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Actually, weirdly, the worst part of that CG Garfield cartoon was to me was not like replacing Garfield's voice because they had no choice, and Frank Welker does a decent enough job. It's they also replaced John's voice, and the new voice for John doesn't even sound remotely close to the original John voice, and it's bad. <laughs> yeah, Tom was ret- retired after uh, Lorenzo passed away, so yeah. And we'll have a moment now to remember Lorenzo music. Okay. And rounding out the trio, Odie is portrayed by Greg Berger a truly prolific voice performer with a long list of credits, but I'm sure Pemmy can quickly hit his other big highlight with two words. Me, Grimlock! <laughs> Can't make it any better than that. Me, Grimlock, no care. Whole world could just blow up. Make no difference to me, Grimlock. With but you on it? On it? Mm, me didn't think of that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Grimlock is my favorite Transformer. I I, I love that freaking guy so much. Uh, though I will also say that Greg Berger is the only person who returns for the CG Garfield show, as he does reprise his role as Odie. Actually, the voice of Liz reprises her role, too. Oh, stand corrected. Okay, he's the only one of the main three who reprises his role. Right. There we go. Let's see. Uh, he's also Orson on uh, the U.S. Acres segment, and he also plays a voice in the Sanrio dubbed film Ringing Bell that I do not recommend watching unless you want to be very, very depressed. Hmm. Uh, I will say- oh, and he's also corn-fed on Duckman. We'll name the rest of our voice actors as they're introduced in the special itself. Mm-hmm. So let's get into it. We open the show with the Arbuckle House decorated to a degree that would strain any local power grid. You can't get any more 80s than this, folks. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <laughs> I, I'd say you know something's wrong because Garfield's actually happy to wake up. That is actually, you know what? That is actually your first clue that something is off. And it's not John's <laughs> clothes. Although John being dressed as an elf is unusual. Compared to some of the clothes he wears in the comics and <laughs> some of the episodes, not really. <laughs> oh, and the other big clue, the whole room is drawn in monochrome blue crayon. And it looks good. <laughs> it does look good, actually. I was going to say, it's actually a nice touch. Oh, hey, that's a Garfield quote there. Nice touch. <laughs> nice touch. Garfield's being woken up for the Christmas festivities, but since Garfield can't open gifts on an empty stomach, John has prepared six breakfast lasagnas. As as someone who will tell you that is the traditional 
Christmas meal in my house, I am I am vastly happy that some specials acknowledge that. <laughs> <laughs> in, is a, is lasagna as difficult to make as Jim Davis makes it sound? No. It's actually, it really isn't. I think the hardest thing in my household is, is the sauce. And it's just because it take because you have to, to simmer the sauce. It takes so long to make. And that's the only hard part. Like the rest of it's fairly easy. I do like a good lasagna. But if I remember right, uh, someone asked Jim Davis, why does Garfield like lasagna? And he said, it, he just thought it was hilariously complex, uh, hilariously complex thing to make. Yeah, and to is. give to a house cat. <laughs> As a side note, my um, my mom's boyfriend, very Italian boyfriend, actually has an orange-striped cat named Garfield. Nice. Hmm. We're not sure about the lasagna part yet. I'll let you know. <laughs> so with the pasta pulverized, John gets Garfield's gift via a forklift. And upon opening, it's revealed to be a mechanical mall Santa? It's the gift that keeps on giving, literally. Yeah. Now, by reading minds, it produces whatever the wisher wishes for. John demonstrates by summoning a festive hat. And then Garfield shoves John off to try. When I was a kid, I really wanted this gift. <laughs> I think every kid wanted this gift. This was the best gift. So with it, Garfield summons precious gems and strings of pearls and the like. And that's just for starters. Now, this is what Christmas you. is all about. And cue the first musical number. <laughs> uh-huh. As if it couldn't be more blatant that the fat cat is all about the loot and little else. The opening line of the song sung over the title sequence is Gimme, 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 etc. Performed by... Much like with many songs in the preceding specials, this song is performed by R&B veteran Lou Rawls. And if I remember correct, I believe he he wrote a good... I don't know. Did he write some of the music? Possibly. I think he wrote some of the music for this. But we'll also be hearing Lou again later. For now, we just need to know that Garfield loves the gifts, stuff, toys, trinkets, greed, avarice, and so on. <laughs> exact quote. So John wakes Garfield from his slumber for real this time, and the cat's not having any of it. You know the old-fashioned trope, it was just a dream? That's what we yep. have here, folks. <laughs> when John says it's Christmas Eve morning and they're spending the holiday at his parents' farm, won't that be fun? Garfield replies that John has a sick sense of humor. <laughs> also, one of my favorite one of my favorite uh, lines in this is when Garfield does the whole thing of "Why can't they come here where my nice warm bit goes for that huge spiel?" and he goes, "And why am I whispering?" Which is kind of funny, considering technically he's not talking at all. <laughs> yeah, which, I, that was always one of my favorite when he does that. And as a kid, I um, I would always start to say that anytime like we're sitting there and someone would start whispering. And I'm like, and I would just go like, okay. And I would be like, why are we whispering? I don't know. Okay. But don't forget, the whole family's going to be there. His parents, grandma, doc boy, and good boy, and bad boy, and oh boy, and attaboy. <laughs> God, I love this. I love this special. <laughs> to be honest, Garfield's lucky that John's taking him with him. A lot of, a lot of people just leave their pets at home. 
considering he's a cat, you don't really need to have someone watch him. Like, you just, he takes care of himself for the most part. The ultimate anarchists. But this this is Garfield, so he'd need somebody to cook for him, which he wouldn't have. This is fair. It's also a cartoon, so I'm pretty sure they would find some sort of plot device to allow him to cook for himself. But the interesting thing with, with, John, with John's family um, is the fact that all of John's family, other than, like, obviously the one member, they're all actually based off of, like, and even, like, John, Jim Davis said, they're all based off of Jim Davis's actual family. Like, he has a brother named Doc Boy. Like, right. his younger brother is called Doc Boy. Wow. Yeah. So back from commercial break... In the car, John is still feeling the Christmas spirit as they leave town, and he can almost smell his mom's chestnut dressing. Garfield can't, and I don't want to imagine what he's actually smelling. <laughs> we also get a lot of good views of uh, John's weird face forward. <laughs> yes. We don't get those often in this show. No. They, they tend to stick to the two, what is it, two-thirds view, because right. it just looks better for the most part. And we get our second musical number. Yep. Can't wait till Christmas. It's sort of a call and response tune where one character sings a verse and a response is given by another. You know, as mm-hmm. an example, John sings, Dad would chop down the tree, and Garfield snarks back, Chores. <laughs> Though I, I think the best one is definitely the Christmas lights. Yeah, this one verse always got me as a kid. John's line is wiring all the lights, which Garfield responds with electrical contracting. <laughs> <laughs> it was just so specific and professional sounding, juxtaposed with the childish joy of John's nostalgic tune, and I still laugh thinking about it. <laughs> also, humorously, I have to say, James, your 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 voice for Garfield actually. Doesn't sound like Lorenzo music, but weirdly does sound like Bill Murray playing Garfield. Yes, I was about to say it definitely sounds more like Bill Murray doing doing uh, Garfield. Yeah, I think I'm too nasally for Lorenzo's voice, <laughs> which which does still sound like Garfield, like how Garfield would sound. So it still works. Yeah, oh that that is one of the weird combinations. Both Lorenzo music and Bill Murray have both played Peter Vakeman and Garfield. <laughs> Dun, dun, dun. Well, and if you want to add another level to that, there's a Garfield Game Boy game that got repurposed as a real Ghostbuster game in America. So, wow. Wow. And I do also want to mention that upon this rewatch all these years later, it becomes pretty obvious that not a lot was done to animate John's car. Nope. Nope. Listen, when you get to the the tree sequence, I think we understand why they cut stuff somewhere. <laughs> also, I want to say it's weird that Doc Boy as a baby has suspenders on his diaper. I know. Oh, my God. I was, at first, I'm like, well, maybe that's to tell him apart. And I'm just like, no, no, that's a humor thing. That's got to be a humor thing. But I thought that was great, too, when I saw that. Also, I think it's weird that Garfield's so negative about Christmas. I mean, you'd think a holiday where he gets to eat a lot would be something he'd look forward to. I don't know if it's so much that he's negative about Christmas in that regards, or just the sheer fact that he's being hauled from his bed to the farm. To deal with a weirdo family. To the farm. (laughs) 
Or, you know, it's Garfield and he's negative for negative sakes a lot of times. Well, you know, as, the, as we used to say in retail, some people are just assholes. <laughs> At least Garfield's a likable asshole. Dad, like, I didn't say anything about him not being likable. I just said some people are just assholes. <laughs> so with the song concluded, our cast arrives at the farm and John asks the cat to behave this year. Garfield's plan to do so involves staying in the car. I'm sure that would last for an hour, maybe. Yeah, yeah. until he got cold. Or hungry. or hungry. Actually, considering hungry, probably five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Inside, John's mom is all hugs and helpfulness. Growing older isn't slowing her down one bit. Nope. And she literally took all of the presents he was holding like they were nothing. Yeah. Whoop. Mom is voiced by Julie Payne, who has starred in several failed sitcoms, including the Jim Carrey vehicle, The Duck Factory, before starting to pick up voice work, particularly in Garfield properties. Today, though, she's best known as Larry David's mother-in-law in HBO's Curb Your Enthusiasm. Wow. Did good. And Dad greets his city slicker son while Doc Boy doesn't much care for John's favorite brother line since he's his only brother. That's about right. Well, that, that line's also doubly humorous to me because, uh, let's see, like my nephew, uh, I at one point I told him, I was like, you're my favorite nephew. And he's like, I'm your only nephew. And I kind of just paused and looked at him for a while. It's one of those cases where you're expecting him to figure out what was wrong with what he said, but you realize he didn't. And I'm like, you're, you're not my only nephew. And he's like, he's like, you have other nephews? I'm like, yeah, your brother. <laughs> <laughs> And he was just like, oh, right. He's like, ah, oh, you got that. It's like, keep walking, dude. Keep walking. <laughs> Dad is performed by Pat Harrington, best known as the superintendent in the long-running sitcom One Day at a Time, while Doc Boy is performed by David Lander, Laverne and Shirley's one and only Squiggy. <laughs> oh. Not looking forward to when we have to watch Laverne and Shirley in the army. Oh no. That oh, was no. a cartoon show. It's I know not it was. Good. Anywho, now Grandma speaks up, kvetching about being ignored and getting old. Well, she perks up the instant John comes in for a hug. I use the word fetching and I love you for it. <laughs> Grandma is voiced by Pat Carroll whose career goes back to the 40s. And animation fans would know her best as Ursula the Sea Witch in Disney's Little Mermaid. She also was on the Vernon Shirley, too. She played a character on the Vernon Shirley as well. Sadly, she passed away just this year at 95. Mm. Bummer. Heck of a life, though. She yeah. was she she won Tonys. She she was a very well-rewarded actress. Very well-regarded. And 95 is nothing to sneeze at. Nope. She was, I think she was active on Broadway up until like, up until like, I think her 92nd year. And then she just kind of said, then she decided, oh, I probably should rest. You can tell we're going to be spending a good time with this character, though, when she chides John for soft city living and elbows him in the gut, then asks him to try one on her. Whoa! Grandma is that grandma we all wanted. <laughs> grandma does not take anything. No, no, she doesn't. 
John has to change the subject to Garfield, and she claims that she remembers when all they had were... Well, take a listen to the to the audio. I remember back when all we had were wood-burning cats. What? What do they think of next? Bizarre. Hubba what? <laughs> I just, I just want to say that Garfield handles this really well, all things yes. considered. Yes, he does. Look, I'm sure Grandma's joking, but what a joke! I just love that Garfield's just like, bizarre. It's like, it's like wow, even for Garfield, that seems to be an under-response. <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I was at. Like, he just, I think he's just like, I don't know what to say. Like, I think the whole entire interaction, he's just like, and I thought John was crazy. <laughs> well, at least he comes about it honestly. Exactly. It's, it's kind of one of those, like, I don't get it. <laughs> like, he's just like, now I get it. I do want to say for a second, I like the uh, very comic hand-drawn look of all the backgrounds. It gives a very hand-drawn look. They're not, like, they're not drawn with, like, super straight edges or everything has a very kind of, you know, it looks like. It's very, cozy. It, yeah. It's very cozy. <laughs> Like, it's just, it, it, it's very homey feeling, which is nice. So mom is still cheery and bright, and grandma tells her to put a sock in it and they go to go finish dinner. Yeah, Garfield likes her. <laughs> Despite the wood-burning cat's comment earlier. <laughs> <laughs> you could definitely tell Garfield's like, okay, you're my people. <laughs> Quite quickly. So after the break, the second break, John and the pets head outside, and John loves the winter scenery. Garfield, down on all fours with his head in the snow, can't see anything and says things can't get any worse. Boom! <laughs> you think he's stop saying that. that. <laughs> yeah, of course he hits his head on a water pump. Old joke is old. I, I, It is, but the fact that he responds to it in kind of a meta way, I think, kind of helps add to it. A little. Yeah, you just, you just see, just as soon as he does it, he's just like, I gotta stop saying that. Meanwhile, I'm just distracted by the fact that John isn't even wearing a coat out in this freaking snowy weather. Yeah, like seriously, like seriously, I was watching it and I'm like, either A, like as a kid, I didn't notice that, or B, I was just kind of saying like, God, John, you're like rebel. Like, how did John's mom let him out of the house like that? Like, we've already seen like his mom is very like, oh and he snuck out of the house without a coat like dude that head is not going to save you from pneumonia speaking of mom inside grandma is nearly caught adding chili powder to the sausage gravy by mom but grandma passes it off of course grandma being green county gravy champion she believes she knows best what goes in it I will be honest and I'm sure there's people out there who will agree with me on this there's some people who when I who I know have watched this and like, that's not true. I'm like, no, you got a family full of cooks. That shit goes down in the kitchen all the time. The doctoring of each other's stuff, the fighting over who knows how to make something better, and then the kitchen table scene, that <laughs> happens all the time. I can vouch for it. I've watched it go down in my grandma's house all the time. I, when I saw them, like, yes, yes, that's happened to us. I've had that happen. It just gives me flashbacks of uh, when my 
granny was alive she actually used to make homemade sausage gravy and it was amazing oh my god what's sausage gravy without chili powder in it anyways like it's bland like you have to have chili powder in that stuff now john and garfield return to the house without odie who's in the barn sniffing around coming up with an old piece of wood and a hand rake and garfield finds the sausage gravy and Take the taste of it, and it's probably contaminated with cat fur. Listen, when you've had pets, you don't care no more. (laughs) (laughs) You really don't care no more. Now, how much chili powder did Grandma add? Um, I will tell you this much when it comes to chili powder. A little goes a very long way. I I can, as someone who's been, uh, learning cooking in the last couple of years i can agree with that <laughs> well we get the classic hot food fire breath gag but punctuated by garfield pronouncing it to be perfect <laughs> if it's not hot it's not good <laughs> so the family sits down for dinner and odie comes back in innocently whistling his late motif you know the one i love Char- that I love Odie. I love how in this special, they definitely show Odie having a little bit of a sneaky side to him. They don't normally show that because everyone just thinks of Odie as kind of the stupid, dumb dog comedy relief. And I love that they show him being a little bit more sneakier. And I think it's a really good side plot. Also shows him being a little smarter than usual, too, which is nice. Which is nice because Odie's not stupid. And I've always said this. Especially with Oscar, my little polter pup. They're smart animals. They just intimi- They just imitate stupid really well. <laughs> They're not dumb. They just they know how to play dumb. So Doc Boy's about to grab a muffin or a roll or some baked good when Mom asks him to say grace. And he protests that he never knows what to say, but a ladle from Grandma helps him find the words. Yep. I also want to mention that there's a slight animation error whenever they show the distance, the distant shot of them praying. Uh, Doc Boy's elbow is in the freaking gravy. Yes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Which honestly is is kind of funny in a way because it's like, I mean, he's he's so concerned about that prayer that he doesn't even notice he's got his elbow in the sausage gravy, which probably. <laughs> Which probably technically, if Grandma put as much chili powder as I thought she might have put in there with a couple of shakes of that thing, it probably burned through his clothes at this point. (laughs) But Doc Boy says a genuinely sweet prayer. Mom says amen. And then he really gets into it. Shakespearean almost. (laughs) There's one in every family. Doesn't know where to shut up. Yeah, Grandma has to resort to the ladle again to get him to stop. And then he thanks Thanks, God for it. (laughs) It's like, thank you, Lord. And it's like, no, that wasn't Lord. That was Grandma. (laughs) And John asks Mom for the potatoes, to which she asks, dolloped, whipped, baked, fried, or boiled. Oh, Mom, you always make too much food. I can't help it, son. Now, what would you like? Uh, It all looks so good. I can't decide. How about a piece of pie? Mind it out of the gutters, you freaks! (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have apple. Pumpkin, banana cream, <laughs> just goes through the whole list. We have apple, peach, pumpkin, cherry, blueberry, or banana cream. Oh, lordy. This gag is straight out of the original comics, by the way. 
they're not majority of the bits done in this con done in this special are from the original comics whenever john goes home to visit his family i'm not kidding you a grandma is sneaking food to the pets and garfield appreciates the attentive service and good cuisine but finds the decor lacking so he gives it two stars however john's dad somehow notices that grandma has been putting away the food but not noticing that she's been putting the plate under the table for some reason and grandma retorts she's eating for two which is the bet which i will give the animator the look on look on dad's face priceless <laughs> when he thinks about it he's like wait what <laughs> it's a good it's one of those good delayed gags too because he's just like ah oh. huh, huh? <laughs> and you have to remember according to the write-up of the cast this is his mother this is John's paternal grandmother, so this is his mom that just said that. Which explains why she's got this weird quasi-negativity towards mom. Yeah. <laughs> I was just want to say that was also a joke that as a kid I didn't get. Because <laughs> I was, just yeah, I think that took was it at face value as, well, yeah, she's feeding the cat. That's a second person. And my mom was like, that means that she... That usually, when someone says that, usually means they're pregnant, and I'm like, I don't think she's pregnant, Mom. <laughs> I think I think that one. There's a couple of jokes that are in there that, as a kid, we didn't get. As adults, we get, and I think they were put in there for the parents. Yeah, like there's a couple of them in there that are in there for the parents. John compliments the chefs and offers Garfield some leftovers, but amazingly, the fat cat turns it down, claiming to be watching his waistline. Blatant grow. lies. No, he's watching it grow. But <laughs> he's watching. It's technically not a lie. Grandma must have fed him a lot of food if he's turning down additional food. Yeah. So it's tree trimming time. And Odie sneaks off with some wire before the humans arrive to get started. Oh, yeah. Tree trimming. <laughs> Grandma sits with Garfield in her lap calling the others a little crazy for being so talkative all at once, but admits you have to be a little crazy to get through life. Look at her. Look at her. She talks to cats. Yeah, that one surprised Garfield. Well, there, now we know where John gets it. <laughs> yes, we do. Dad, meanwhile, wonders why the star goes up top last, and Mom insists that it being done in that order is part of the tradition of Christmas. I agree with Dad. <laughs> I agree with Dad, too. Why not put it up and then put it up? It's already level. You don't have to get on a ladder. It just makes it easier. But then John gets the bright idea and calls Garfield over. Yep, he appeals to Garfield's ego by proclaiming him a hero if he puts the star up. And the cat likes the idea. Hey, cats climb trees like pros. He tells John if he's not back in an hour to send a banana cream pie after him. And who says Garfield's not useful? It's when he gets to the top that he gets nervous. But he pulls off before taking a bow and falling back to the bottom. Saying my favorite Garfield quote. Whoever invented Christmas trees should be drug out in the street and shot. Which I still say they should have done a variation of that for that Nickelodeon Smash game they released. Where he should have said like, Whoever decides to try to fight me should be drug out in the street and shot. That actually should have been done, but I don't. 
I don't know why they didn't. They should have. Because that is a very, that is, that's unique to Garfield. And of course, we use the other very well-used trope of the scare cord, where you have that scary cord of, oh my God, what's going to (laughs) happen? The lights are lit, and it's a dazzling display. Even Garfield admits, nice touch. Then, an awkward cut. At least in one of the versions we had access to. As we alluded to in our last episode, older holiday specials tend to get material cut from them as networks insist on running more ads during the time. Here, the sequence where Doc Boy struggles to sing Oh Christmas Tree and Grandma shoves him aside and takes over in a swinging, rollicking fashion gets excluded. Yeah. I love the, I love the fact that Doc Boy protests, by the way. He doesn't willingly just go, oh, yeah, I'll play. No, he fights his dad on this and says, I don't want to do it. I'm not good. And his dad's like, we paid for piano lessons. Play. (laughs) And immediately regrets that decision. (laughs) So on one hand, part of me kind of looks at it and it's like, well, we kind of saved, you kind of saved your audience from listening to that really bad version of Oh Christmas Tree. On the other hand, you kind of lost one of the best bits in the special is Doc Boy singing it, getting knocked out by Grandma, and Grandma playing the probably one of the best jazzy tunes of Oh Christmas Tree and completely shocking the rest of her family. Yep. The cut version takes the family going ooh and ah at the tree to just looking stunned silent by the piano. It just... They don't mesh. No. It's it's also frustrating considering the version I got, which is also the version that James has, was a fan-restored version that made a big deal about, you know, amp- like restoring it to a high HD quality only to not restore that scene. Yeah. Where the version that I ended up watching, I just went on YouTube and it was and it was the full holiday special with that scene. And the guys and the guy who had it, he actually just took it from the DVD he bought of it. I guess he had a DVD. I went back and read the notes that he put up of all the Garfield TV specials, and he just nice. uploaded each one, and it was the complete one. There was like no commercials or anything in that one. Nice. Um, so yeah, I see. I'm I've seen both of them. Because there was a while where I gaslit myself a little bit, like, no, wait, that seemed, because I remembered the bit, but then I was like, but then I would watch previous, like, after that, like, sometimes I would see it, but most of the time I wouldn't, because you, because networks could buy either one of the two cuts, so you could get the one with that or the one without, and for a while I wasn't seeing it with that bit in it, and I was like, maybe it didn't happen, maybe I'm crazy, but knowing that there was two versions and like, okay, that's what happened. Either way, John asks mom to play next and they sing Christmas in your heart, or at least the chorus of professional singers do in terms of the show's production. Because mm-hmm. that cannot possibly be mom's singing voice in there. It's a pretty rendition though. Yeah. The, the person singing it is Desiree Goyette. Um, uh, she does the solo at the, in the last verse. Yeah. And then it's the ensemble. But meanwhile, Garfield returns his attention to lonely grandma looking out the window and kindly leaps into her lap. She begins to relate memories of Christmases with her husband to him, how her husband would try not to act sentimental, but his eyes always gave it away. This is the night she misses him the most. 
very sentimental scene. This is part of this is this is kind of the love story, and this this is always the scene that kind of was like you know kind of made you go. Aww. As for Desiree Goyette, she's also got a long involvement in the Garfield franchise. She voices Normal. Oh, really? Yeah. In fact, she's got an extensive list of iconic characters on her CV, from Betty Boop to Barbie. Wow. Really? Yeah. Normal, everyone's favorite kitten. Sorry. Yeah, I just, I kind of clicked over real quickly, and it looks like she was, um, yeah, she she also has a wide range of uh, specials. But she's also a Grammy. She's won. She's been nominated for two Grammy awards. Like she's a singer. She's got a couple of albums out. A whole bunch of stuff. So when the special resumes, Mom introduces via piano fanfare Dad's annual reading of Binky the Clown Who Saved Christmas. Go for it. Dad Watch. is done with this nonsense. <laughs> I love the fact that John and Doc Boy are like, yeah, like they are just, com- I, they are just completely playing it up. And Mom is like, you know, the boys look forward to it every year, and the boys are like, yeah, Dad, you have to do it. Please Even to the that. point where Doc Boy insists that Dad says the one line like Binky does. If you're a Garfield fan, you know the line. If not, Pemmy. Hey, kids! That's the one. Yep. You could just see, like, you could just see that Dad is just completely, he's like, I'm over this. Now, remember, the Doc Boy and John, according to canon, are in their late 30s, possibly early 40s. So the whole antics that they're doing (laughs) is being done by much older people. Not by kids in their 20s. But late 30s, early 40s. Just remember, that's canon, according to Jim Davis, of how old they are in the comic strips. <laughs> no. Which is why Dad is so done. Done. Because he's been doing this for 40 years. <laughs> so, come bedtime, Odie sneaks off to a closet and removes a plunger's head to get the stick. And the music during this sequence reminds me a little bit of Carlos Santana. Now that night, with everyone sound asleep, even Garfield, although that's not exactly uncommon, Odie heads off to the barn again, but Garfield wakes up and follows. And as Odie assembles, uh, something, we get a duet from Lou Rawls and Desiree Goyette. You can never find an elf when you need one. Which is a really, which honestly is a really good song. What a treat for Desiree to sing along with Rawls, and they sound great together. They really do. So Garfield watches Odie race back, but stumbles off of his hiding spot, and a bundle of old letters falls into his possession. And Garfield makes the remark of, why, these letters must be over 50 years old. Gasp. Plot twist. And now, the best gag of the special. Because mm-hmm. we've all done this as kids. <laughs> and I feel so bad for dad. <laughs> yeah, John and Doc Boy waking up their dad at 1.30 in the morning to open presents. You see, their logic, it being technically Christmas morning, they should open them up. 
<laughs> Your dad is done. He is done. Yeah, he's not buying what they're selling. As someone who's been woken up multiple times by a kid, I 100% sympathize with that in this. Oh, especially the fight over the light switch where they, he keeps shutting it off and they keep turning it back on. And I, I want to point out, mom sleeps through this. Because mom is done. Because as far as mom is concerned, she's gotten up in the middle of the night to feed those them as babies. Because you know dad didn't get up and help at all. That she's just like, I had them as babies. They're yours now. Hmm. She's just like, payback. Because you know. Because remember, this is the late 80s. Those they were kids probably in the sixties and the you know in the sixties ish maybe even earlier. Dad probably didn't help all that much. <laughs> Dad was too busy being up running the farm, probably dead tired. So she's looking at him like your turn. <laughs> As they go to bed, the boys ruminate. It's Christmas morning. I know that, and you know that. Like typical siblings, grousing about their parents not yep. being reasonable. So morning comes as the rooster crows, and of course all everyone wants to do is open presents, with John getting an oversized sweater and Grandma getting a bowling ball. Grandma's awesome. <laughs> That's all we have to say. Now just when they think they're done, Garfield tugs on Mom's apron and brings the letters to Grandma. And Grandma opens them, and I think this is probably the most touching scene because she realizes what they are and she starts to read them and she reads the first letter out loud which she goes the line is my darling if the sea were of ink and the sky of parchment i could not begin to write my love for you and she kind of gives a little laugh and she says when we next meet and she stops and then she starts reading to herself and remembering what he probably finished writing I will allow your minds to go into together now, lady and gentlemen. You are appropriately there. John's mom asks, well, what does he say, Grandma? And she goes, it's inappropriate for a lady to talk about her romances, my dear. <laughs> now, Chrissy. What? You've got a story. I do have a story about this. My So around Christmas, it was not the year that this came out. I had to check. It was about two years later. This was playing. And my grandfather had just passed away. And my grandmother had insisted, it literally was like the beginning of December. And my grandma had insisted on doing Christmas. And we watched the special. And she, she, my grandma was a very tough, tough woman. And we decided, me and my cousin, that we were going to find, we wanted to cheer her up. So we were going to look for, we were convinced that my grandfather, for as much as he loved my grandmother, had to have written her love letters. So we went around the house uh, that they lived in, sneaking around the house, looking for these non-existent love letters. And we went all over. We went into closets. We went into crawl spaces. We, I think we broke a couple of things and we got into so much trouble. The two of us it was the only time we didn't kill each other looking for these non-existent love letters. And when we kind of confessed what we did, cause we don't, I, cause we got in a lot of trouble cause we got into things we shouldn't have. And we told my grandma kind of what we were doing. And my grandmother point blankly told us that there were no love letters. My grandfather actually was a very effect. He was nothing like John's grandfather. My grandfather was actually a, a very affectionate man. 
who loved my grandmother and always told his family every day how much he loved him. And he never really saw a need to put it in writing because he would tell my grandmother every day how much he loved him and would hug his family and just never had a need to write it down. But this, this special did inspire me and my cousins to try to find these love letters to cheer up my grandmother because my grandfather did pass away around Christmas time one year. And we wanted to make her happy again. Aww. Yeah. It's really touching. Yeah, we got in a lot of trouble that year. We got stuck with dish duty for the holidays. Well, well intended, at least. Yeah, it was well intended. <laughs> so Grandma thanks Garfield sincerely, and he humbly admits he kind of fell into them. Literally. I also want to, I also want to point out that Dad has a giant freaking hat. <laughs> oh my God, yes. That cowboy hat. Can we tell I think they stole it from Arby's or Pharrell. I'm not sure which. <laughs> I think it may actually hold 10 gallons. <laughs> But now, there's, they're still not done with the gifts because Odie gives Garfield his contraption and demonstrates its purpose. A back scratcher. Which, according to Garfield, is the best gift ever. If the kiddies don't find you intelligent, they should at least find you handy. <laughs> Garfield loves it, and he gives Odie a hug. Aww. Which is what the family does. <laughs> And he gets sentimental and says the effective moral of the episode. It's not the giving. It's not the getting. It's the loving. There. I said it. Now get out of here. If I didn't say it, the networks would get upset at me. The song A Good Old Fashioned Christmas closes out the special and is musically reprised over the credits. Mm-hmm. An absolute genuine classic. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the nice things about it. it. It it does make it does make this timeless, because I mean you can even watch it now and it. I mean other than the very much '80s style beginning, maybe even you can almost even say it's '90ish because of some of the colors. Right. I mean this 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 is something that has everything something in it for everyone. It certainly lasted. This this would run on network television until the year 2000. And as for Film Roman, they just went from success to success. Not just with Garfield, but with the Howie Mandel created Bobby's World, and taking over The Simpsons from Klasky Supo, and myriad modern cartoons from there on out, ranging from further Fox primetime shows to one of the more interesting animated adaptations of Marvel's Avengers. Personally, my favorite version of animated Avengers, I might add. (laughs) The Garfield days are what got the ball rolling, and this special was arguably the start of the peak of that period. This special was was so well received, even even now. In 2014, Johnny Brayson of Bustle actually called it a bonafide classic, and TV Guide in 2004 ranked it 10 out of 10 for its best family holiday specials list. You mean 10th um, place in their top 10. Yes, 10th place. So it was, you know what I meant. Um, right. uh, the magazine Parade called it a delightful little short featuring everyone's favorite cankerous orange cat. The only person, the only real negative review it got. That was listed in Wikipedia. Yeah, was from Jeff Rauner of Houston Press. And he does make a fair point. 
I'm not saying this is not justified. He does say it's a little depressing um, because of the fact that Grandma, who cannot hear Garfield's thoughts, um, kind of turns in what we are actually watching as a sad old widow who's so desperately lonely without her late husband that she's begun talking out loud to a visiting cat. Which is fair. If this wasn't I'd talk out loud to a visiting house cat. Which is, like I said, it's fair. It's a cartoon, though. Let it go, yeah. dude. <laughs> well, that, and to be honest, I've seen people talk to their cats in real life, so. Like I said, it's a cartoon, dude. Let it go. <laughs> I talk, I, every time I walk in the house, I say hi to Oscar's ashes. I know that makes me weird, but I'm okay with that. No, that's not weird at all. Not weird at all. Not even remotely. So... So we're going to take a short break, and we will return with our second special. Stay tuned. On the next Penny and James podcast, hot on the heels of the success of Scooby-Doo and the Archies, came Josie and the Pussycats. When they're not touring or recording, they're continually wrapped up in globe-trotting adventures that seemed like Hanna-Barbera couldn't decide what kind of comic book they wanted to adapt. Satisfy your danger-detecting ears with this podcast in two weeks. As we said earlier, Garfield was nominated for a Primetime Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program. But the winner in that category will turn out to be our next subject, a claymation Christmas celebration from Will Vinton Productions. Now, if you're curious, the only other nominee that year was Jerry Reese's Brave Little Toaster feature. Interesting. Yeah. Which, by the way, I did like Brave Little Toaster, too. You want to tell, tell a little bit about uh, Will Vinton? Will was far from the only stop-motion animator going, but he was becoming more and more in demand as the 80s carried on. Advertising firms reached out to him to create campaigns for Domino's Pizza and the California Raisin Advisory Board, giving the world the Noid and the California Raisins, ad icons that have outlasted many of their contemporaries in the public consciousness, thanks in no small part to Vinton and his team's visual creativity. He was even collaborating with the Walt Disney Company, doing the Gnome King for the theatrical film Return to Oz, and contributing to the Michael Jackson-centered Captain EO. Mm -hmm. The year the special came out, he had just finished working on a music video for John Fogarty's song, Vans Can't Dance. And this is, of course, in addition to the many, many short films he'd been producing since the 70s, and his sole feature film, The Adventures of Mark Twain, in 1985. Which I love. Boy, howdy, that's a movie. (laughs) That's all I have to say. That is it. That is a movie, and it's a good movie. It's a good movie, but traumatize some children in scenes. <laughs> well, when you watch, I, well, yeah, yeah. So, but, but a lot of his stuff kind of was like if you watch Dinosaur, that's a yeah. little traumatizing too. Hmm. Like his stuff was not meant for young kids. It was so a lot of his stuff is meant for like teens. So all this considered. I'm a little surprised CBS didn't reach out to him sooner for a holiday special. But reach they did, and to act as a framing device for it, Will returned to a pair he had just revived from one of his best-remembered shorts, like Chrissy just mentioned, 1980's Dinosaur. Mm -hmm. Taking a Tyrannosaurus Rex, 
and a Styracosaurus, not a Triceratops, as I first thought. I yeah. thought it was a Triceratops too, huh? These models will be reimagined as a mild pastiche of film critics Siskel and Ebert, and had them host a compilation of Vinton's best short films dubbed Festival of Claymation, which is also on the list. I love the guy who's playing Rex. Uh, his voice is, gives me some major flashbacks of Jim Backus as uh, Thurston Howell on uh, Gilligan's Island. Yep. These charming characters, Rex, the Jim Backus sound alike, voiced by impressionist and singer Johnny Counterfeit, and Herb, yeah. short for Herbivore, performed by Tim Connor, a regular contributor to Vinton's films, would be brought back from Festival of Claymation to host this assortment of short subjects set to popular Christmas songs. Can I just say that Johnny Counterfeit is like the best name ever? <laughs> For an impressionist, darn tootin'. I hear, the, I hear the guy does a mean Johnny Cash, and now I get the pun. <laughs> <laughs> so at London's Christmas Square, Rex and Herb introduce a special, and Herb can't keep his enthusiasm in and keeps interrupting Rex. I feel bad for Rex in a lot of this. <laughs> I really do too. You could just see he try he he's he's trying to to yeah. <laughs> he's uh, trying his best to have a dignified festival and special here, and only to get interrupted constantly by her, who admittedly is a little annoying. <laughs> well, and and it's interesting is at is they're trying is they're supposed to be very vaguely parroting Siskel and Ebert. By the way, interestingly enough, Rex and Herb were from dinosaurs, as you guys said, were from dinosaurs. But this is the first show, first uh, actual thing they were in where they talk. So Rex is introducing We Three Kings, but a trio of dogs come a waffling. Here we come a waffling among the seas so green, which. <laughs> Rex is compelled to tell them they've made a mistake. It's supposed to be a wassling. What's a wassel? We don't find out yet. I love this because considering the age group that was probably watching this, they don't know what a wassling is either, and probably neither did their parents. So I'm sure the kids watching this probably turned to their parents and asked the question, what's a wassling? Well, Herb doesn't care. He just orders his waffle with extra butter. Much to I'm... Rex's dismay. I know. Poor Rex. So let's go to the song. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure James is feeling it definitely feels for Rex right now with the two of us. <laughs> <laughs> A little bit. We love you, James. So the three kings sing in the traditional fashion, and we distinctly hear their individual voices as each gets his close up. But the camels! Oh, the camels steal the show! The camels were my favorite part. These are some doofy-looking camels. Who cares? But boy, can they sing. Yeah, yeah they they're can. going full doo-wop. And wearing tennis shoes. Which I think was awesome. <laughs> I love the tennis shoes. <laughs> yeah, they definitely add a lot of fun to the proceedings here. And the two musical styles come together for the finale. But probably my favorite claymation effect is in this sequence, where the first king turns his crown of gold into pieces with a wave of his hand, all very oh, smooth. It was, yeah, this was, that was very, very, very nicely done. 
and knowing the amount of time that that just knowing how much time that one sequence probably took and how smooth it went that was amazing Penny, anything else to contribute for this scene you guys hit a lot of the things i love how fluid it is especially because i admire claymation a lot because when i was at the art institute of dallas i had to do a short like claymation thing for like i think like a couple minute long animation and it's grueling and taxing so seeing how much work they manage to put in this is always impressive and little details like at one point the camel almost knocks over one of their hats and that's actually in there and nice little touch yeah when i worked at strong um, we actually had some of the animators from like a studio actually come which interestingly enough uh will vinton's studio actually turned into leica and then Will Vinton, and that, that was a huge kerfuffle when he lost the studio and it became Leica. And then he started Free Will Entertainment before he died. But they showed us, like, they actually brought some of the pieces from Coraline and watching, like, how they had to manipulate them and just the time, the time it takes just to do, like, just a 20-second sequence like, so to imagine doing it for like a full 30 minutes of different songs, like, that's mind blowing. Yeah. And it's, it's just a, it's crazy. Though it is kind of, it is kind of cool, though, that, you know, while his studio, he lost his studio, his studio is still doing stop motion animation, which is pretty impressive and impressive yeah. levels of it at that. Yeah. Well, in one of the um, Travis Knight, was actually an animator in his studio before his father bought it out. Cause his father is Phil Knight, uh, who owns Nike. Uh, so back at Christmas square, Herb argues that wassail is an old word for waffle. And Rex protests that Herb's thinking with his stomach. <laughs> well, he is. Well, which is not wrong. And now they go to explain the place of bells in Christmas traditions to drive off evil spirits. Though Herb can't drive Rex off. I also want to mention how disgusting it is that Herb, that Herb, I want to put, say Herb, that Herb actually stick, stuck those waffles right into his Santa coat before pulling out the bell. Yeah, hammer space is real in cartoons. So through this, they introduce the Carol of the Bells. One of my favorite carols, by the way. I love carols of the bells. And actually, it is, and it actually, I fell in love with it from this special. The Paris Bell Choir at Notre Dame Cathedral is tuning themselves up, in a literal sense, since they're anthropomorphic bells, mm -hmm. and a hushed announcer has a hunch they'll give a charming performance. Pun intended, because since this is Notre Dame, their conductor is Quasimodo. Mm -hmm. Another gag I didn't get as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Most of us didn't get it as a kid until like we got older. Or until you eventually saw the Hutchback of Notre Dame via Disney. That's true, too. Of course, he doesn't look anything like that Hunchback. And boy, that's another story for another day. <laughs> I do like how expressive all the bells are and all the different face types they gave him. And even little, just little animations they gave him while they're waiting. Like, one of them's playing with his mustache and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And if we thought the Three Kings sequence was fluid, whoo, brother, this one is is smooth, smoother than the extra butter on Herb's waffle. That was good. I like that one. Yeah, this one, and, and it's funny as heck, because 
for a song that has no real words to it, it's just bells. That's hard to keep a kid's attention. You know, especially someone who's, especially a little kid, seven or eight years old. So you have to make that kind of that time as they're playing interesting. And they do. Mm -hmm. The the expressions are are fluid. It's what you expect, especially Quasimodo's expression when he's looking at that one lower C bell that's messing up in the back. And playing guitar with his mallet. mallet And and it goes, yeah, and then loses his mallet. And he's just like, I don't know what to do. I'm sorry. Look at, I don't know what's going on. And then the slingshot. (laughs) That is is a good, a good closing gag. And you, and at first you're like, wait, wait, what happened? And then when he bows and you see the slingshot and it's just like, that was perfect. <laughs> and you know, he enjoyed doing that because he was just ready to ring that, ring that neck. Pun Black intended. <laughs> Pun intended. Oh, I was just going to say, I love how just how they, well, they animate like Quasimodo just getting more and more frustrated with that single bell the entire thing. Oh my god, you could just see the frustration. And you know what, as a kid, I would not have understood that. Now as an adult working with people, and sometimes not always the smartest people, I feel you, Quasi. I feel you. I feel you on so many levels. Magnificent! Uh, Who was that conductor? Oh, I don't know. But, you know, his face sure rings the bell. <laughs> After the commercial, we return to our host discussing Christmas trees and introducing the song Oh Christmas Tree. But along come geese a waddling. Carrying baskets of goodies because I was really because I remember watching it because I knew that everything because with you eventually pick up a theme with the with the a wassling parodies that they had to have food involved so when they did a waddling i'm like all right let's let's see how they're gonna break food and they're carrying a basket of goodies which herbs go straight to yep Yep. again to rex's dismay yeah poor rex and he's trying to explain to them that it's a wassling as nicely as he can (laughs) we transition to the next vignette as a tree is decorated and scenes play out from within the ornaments, going from a tree just being started to be decorated by kids into the ornament they placed, then an ornament from that tree, and so on. It's a really pretty scene. It's really pretty and it's really neat how they do all the different, like how they show us the elves and then the food they're celebrating and then Santa's actually having a nice cozy sleep. With Mrs. Claus knitting a sweater next to him, and it's just, it's just very peaceful, and it's, I mean, it's really pretty, and it reminds me also, too, of, because you don't really see these ornaments anymore, but remember the old ornaments that used to have, like, a scene in the actual ornament itself? It wasn't just, like, the ball, but it actually had, like, a village scene, or it had a house scene in it, inside the actual ornament, and you would hang it, because we used to have those and we lost a lot of them because they broke or whatever. And and it was nice to see that because it did remind me of those ornaments growing up as a child. So it was nice to see kind of those old-fashioned ornaments again. I was just going to say, my parents had some of those too. I wonder how many of those they still have because I, I don't think they really... They, put up, they only put up a small Christmas tree these days, not a huge one. So I wonder how many of those they still have. So I've got two notes. First... Uh, it's nice to see Santa getting a rest and 
not being force fed. Thank God. <laughs> and, and not being mean to Donner <laughs> unfairly. Yeah. And secondly, something about the posture of the young boy at the beginning seemed off to me. It's like something about that kid hit the uncanny valley at the start. I don't know what it was. I think it's his weird squinty eyes. It, yeah, there was some. There was something about it too, and I, I wasn't sure if it was just like. I don't know if it was how it was designed. It could have been how it was designed. So now consulting a dictionary, Herb is convinced wassling has to do with sheep shearing, and Rex is not pleased. I know, he gives him this look. <laughs> also, I want to point out that Herb is now eating those waffles that he originally put into his outfit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we go to how, which I will say is a parody of one of the more famous scenes in Fantasia, and how they did not get nailed by Disney for this, I will never understand. Because we know how legacious Disney can be. Maybe it was back then. You know, Eisner actually had a sense of humor, which we know that presidents after him did not at Disney. But it is also another one of my favorite parts of this special. Considering Will Vinton had been working directly with Disney for the past few years, I think they recognized this was all just in good fun. This is true, too. Also, as much as I hate giving the mouse some credit, I, with all the videos I've put on on YouTube, I want to just point out that when I talk about something Disney-related, Disney has never hit me with a copyright claim or strike, unlike about every other company. So the segment we're talking about is Angels We Have Heard on High, as interpreted by Ice Ballet performing walruses. Walruses that somehow traded their tails out for feet. Yeah, and several luckless penguins are stuck watching this. Yeah, spare pity for those poor penguins in the way. Yeah. I I do have to say, I love the animation in this sequence. There's a lot of really good bits. And I I think my favorite is I like when the uh, female walrus is like slinging the male walrus from the back and into the camera and then back. It's Oh my god, and his facial expressions too are just perfect. There's one part where they're where they're skating and he smiles at her and then he closes his eyes and she smiles but it's like that sinister looking smile like she's like oh you have no idea what you're in for. I also love the fact that before we get into this Her, um Herb has a fangirl moment over the female wal- walrus. He does. I have to admit out of all the segments in this special If you're just looking for some light, relaxing viewing, this segment on its own makes for a wonderful palate cleanser for whatever ails you. Because it's hilarious. You you can't watch it and not start chuckling because it's just funny as hell. And it's just simple and focused. And there's nothing wild and distracting going on in the background. It's just... Other, other than the poor penguins, other than the poor penguins trying to get out of the way, I, I do, I do think the, the ending segment's really good. Like that when she jumps and he tries to catch her and then has to lift her, her up with all his might. The animation on that is really amazing. With they take full advantage of them being clay for that. Yes, they do. 
Oh, yes, they do. You could tell that they definitely lean into them being clay for this whole entire se this sequence. This sequence, they definitely lean into the fact that, like, yeah, they're made of clay. We're just going to have fun with this. Between <laughs> the penguins getting smashed, turning them into bowling pins, him getting flattened by her, the falling through the ice, smashing through the snow, it's, it, it's just pure cartoon fun with clay. Uh, complete with the uh, penguins straight up trying to murder them at the end. <laughs> yes, rolling the ice, rolling a giant snowball over to plug them underneath the ice. Yes, I, and to be fair, if I was one of those penguins and half of the stuff they did to me, to with half the stuff that happened to me, if I went through what those penguins went through, yeah, I'd try to straight up murder them too. I feel <laughs> for those penguins. So I learned something watching this special. Joy yeah. to the World was composed by a 15-year-old boy. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's the next song, too. But first, we find a group of pigs a-wallowing while eating a variety of fresh fruits. Before we go a little further, I do want to mention the uh, the joke between Rex and Herb about the uh, walrus segment, where Herb is like, I'd, I'd love to get a chance to skate with her and Rex is like, there's not, there's not a, oh, I can't remember. There that. is no ice thick enough for the both of you. <laughs> yes. It's like, dang. That's cold, yeah. Obi-Wan. <laughs> Though, let's be honest, Rex deserved, Rex, uh, Rex, uh, Rex deserved the chance to say that. And in the face of all this fresh fruit, Rex has to restrain Herb to keep him focused as they introduce Joy to the World. Well, if there's any positive, all the fresh fruit did at least get Herb to give a very loud and enthusiastic joy. Oh, well, I was just looking up Joy to the World and to see who actually wrote it. And the actual person who wrote it, his name is Isaac Watts. And he actually was not 15 when he wrote it. Oh, oh. It was it was written in 1719. Now Isaac Watts himself was actually born. Do do do. Oh, I just had his date of birth. And if I did the math right, he was not 15 when he wrote it. But it is based on Psalm 98, celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. He was an actual English minister at the time, and he was a hymn writer. But he was young. He just wasn't 15. Uh, it could be one of those cases where the legend kind of. The legend, the, the legend. I'm looking here. The, the legend was was that he was 15, but he actually wasn't. Uh, he actually was much. Um, he was actually much young. He was actually older when he wrote it. Yeah, he was born in 1674, and he wrote it in 17 in 1719. So his legend was he wrote it. He wrote other stuff much younger, but he didn't write Joy to the World younger. Why do I keep so, missing these things? No, I'm the one who went down that rabbit hole. So you're not even you us. That's why we're here to be annoying and do this for you. And the help. Yeah. Are we helping? 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 Are we? Are we? He's going to kill us. You know that, right, Pemmy? <laughs> I'm giving up my nap for this. I love you, James. Love you, buddy. So, the animation in this segment is principally two-dimensional 
and not stop motion, but it's done to resemble paintings in stained glass, and it's both breathtaking and a perfect match for the upbeat sounds of this take of the song. It's just it's, so beautiful. It is very beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's it's the only segment not rendered in the trademark claymation, and I still want to know how they do it. <laughs> it's so beautifully done in traditional animation, but it flows so beautifully that you just sit there and it's like you you almost like you watch it and it's and you know it's traditional animation, but it doesn't feel like traditional animation. It's it's just so gorgeous. This this whole this whole special all around, I know I'm doing this early, definitely deserved to win the Emmy for it. I agree. It was just so, be- it's just so beautifully done. And just this sequence alone is just, is just art to me. Just beautiful art. Also worth mentioning, this is a notable depiction of people of color in this segment. It's just, yeah, it's just so gorgeous. Which is kind of sad that even in the eighties, you weren't seeing that that often. No, you weren't. Unfortunately. I'd I think love we've gotten to better who, about that. Yeah, yeah, I would love to know who sing who sings because the 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 ensemble who sings this is beautiful. Cuz I think this one We Three Kings has has uh, voice is voiced. Is Old Christmas Tree voiced or is that music? I forgot. Oh, Christmas Tree is voiced. Oh, Christmas Tree is voiced. This one is voiced. I think out of the three, out of, and then Rudolph is voiced. But this one, I think, is the most beautifully voiced one because it, it just sounds gorgeous. And it goes so well with, it's so well-timed with the animation. It's just beautiful. And I really hope when they teach animation that they pull out this and show this as well-timed animation and music together that power because it's just so gorgeous and moving once again at christmas square poor rex's please continue to go unheeded but still the show must go on and Indeed. rudolph the red-nosed reindeer is up next as performed by the california raisins told you we weren't done with rudolph no you're right <laughs> i think this is the first time at least i can think of that an advertising mascot is drafted into a Christmas special. I, I do have something to say about this segment, but I'm going to wait until the end. So. Okay. So the setup here is the Raisins have just wrapped up a holiday show and they wound up missing the last bus. That's all right. It being Christmas Eve, the bass singer reasons the next reindeer will arrive any minute. And that cues up the song, of course. Indeed it does. As the Motown flavored dried grapes, a sentence I never thought I would say, they do their stuff, and it culminates in them taking off themselves. Well, after uh, noting that one of their fellow band members has a huge nose and rubs it until it turns red. So that's where you got that idea from last episode. <laughs> Not only rubs it till it turns red, but they also make it shiny beforehand, too. True. And they also and put together their own sleigh. What the leader of the band set in the... Uh, Sat in the chair while they all did the work. Yeah. See, where they get a sofa, by the way. That's what I want to know. Like they, like here they are, and it's like all of a sudden they find like a perfectly good sofa to to turn into the sleigh. It's like, 
Wait, what? Man, surprised what throw- you find in those back alleys. Man, they threw out everything in the eighties. Though, let's see, it would later they would get inspired to actually do other entirely California raisin focused uh, TV specials as well as a cartoon series. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that we'll talk about that a little more in the postscript. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was gonna. I did have something to say about this particular special, which was. Uh, one thing that I actually got a little annoyed with this special when I first saw it as a kid because all of the advertisements focused on the California Raisin bit. And it gave me this idea as a kid that the entire special was going to be California Raisins. I know, right? It, I had to wait. And while I enjoyed it, I just got frustrated because it waited all the way to this end part. And then this was it. And I was just kind of like, that, that's it? Yeah. That, that was the thing. It was like they all focused on, like, it was all about the California Raisins. The California, it was almost like it was like the California Raisins Christmas special type thing. And I don't think that was Will Vinton's fault. I think that a lot of that was the advertisers because that was the big thing then was the California Raisins. Yeah, even at the start of this, they had to put featuring the California races at the start, too. Yeah, to keep, and then they had to keep saying it throughout it, like, when it was like, we'll be right back, coming up, the California raisins. So you had to sit there and be like, okay, they're coming up. Okay, they're coming up. Okay, they're coming up. Because I think they're afraid if they put them on sooner, people would tune out. So with Rex at his lowest, some elves do indeed come a-wassling. Finally! Vindication! Yay, Irish right. elves, I might add. Yes, definitely Irish elves. Yeah, you can tell from the accent. And the cider. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, the accent and the fact they have booze. <laughs> Watch it. Hey, my family's Irish descent. I can talk like that. <laughs> I love the fact they have cider. <laughs> that they was it took me it took me a while until like the second like watching it now that I realized like, oh, it's cider. Yeah, because it says Cyril Cider on it. Yeah, on I didn't, I, but I couldn't read it as a kid because of, of all everything else going on. So I was distracted by like all the other animation. And now I was like, wait, does that say Cider? It does. <laughs> so wassailing is explained to be caroling and receiving treats and cordials in return. Pretty much the actual tradition was, was you would go around to people's house and harass them by singing. And they had to give you food back to get rid of you. Sounds like a good tradition. It is. Let's go wassailing. I like this plan. My neighbor, I, hey, listen, I know my neighbors have got some good stuff. Let's go. <laughs> so Herb and Rex join in the singing, but then Herb vanishes. And back from break, Rex is still looking for him as the entire cast of the special is joined in. Here we come, a wassailing along the leaves so green. And we finally spot the erstwhile Styracosaurus having completely overindulged, but content that he was right that there was a song about Christmas snacks. And boy, howdy, did he indulge. Oh, poor Herb. But he kind of reaped what he sowed. Yeah. So the ensemble sings, We wish you a Merry Christmas as the credits roll. And right as we're about to fade out, Herb asks Rex for just one thin dinner mint. A Monty Python reference in a family Christmas special. (laughs) That, folks, warms this nerd's heart right up. You know exactly which uh, Monty Python movie that's from? Meaning of Life. Good job. 
Didn't that come out right about then, too? Earlier. It came out earlier? A little earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Yep. (laughs) End on a Monty Python reference. How can you go wrong with that? You can't. You really, really can't. And then Nintendo wholesale stole that entire bit for a for a commercial for Yoshi's Island. Yeah, it came out it came out four years earlier. Meaning of life. So the Claymation Christmas celebration would be the first of five specials and yes indeed, a two D animated Saturday morning series that Will Vinton Productions would create for CBS. And at least one more of those specials would also net them a primetime Emmy. Mm-hmm. Now sadly while Garfield's special would run for over a decade, this special only made a couple repeat airings on network television, and its place would be taken by a more thematically resonant counterpart to Garfield, a Charlie Brown Christmas. Which is, is kind of the... Tra- it, it, if there's anything that I can say Christmas, I think Christmas tradition, it's definitely the Charlie Brown special. Yeah, that's true. You know... Pair up the two comic strip specials together. Makes some sense. Yeah. I would still I would still want to play the Claymation Christmas Celebration. But also, too, um, with the closing of, you know, Will Vinton's studio. I mean, that kind of puts a lot of who had the rights to the a lot of his stuff as well. Because when he when it became Leica no one knew who had the rights to any of his stuff because his studio got rolled into Leica and he actually had to sue for the right to his name. So Fortunately, sure... some of those rights issues have been cleared up because the special and also the Easter and Halloween special are available on DVD. Wonderful. Awesome. Well, I know, I know he eventually won in court. So this is what I this is what I didn't know until um, until actually researching this. Did you know there was a soundtrack that went out that you could have bought in the stores? Yep. No. I didn't know that. I did not know that. And there was like extra songs on there too. Like I did not know that. <laughs> See, I do know for the uh, the California Raisin focused uh, TV specials. Uh, I think it's like Meet the Raisins, and I don't remember what the other one was. They completely redesigned the raisins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to the designs they would eventually use in the 2D cartoon. Yeah. Which was done by Ruby Spears, if I remember right. There was also a California Raisin Nintendo game that was fully made but not released because of some uh, uh, complications between Capcom of America and Capcom Japan. Yeah, and not coincidentally, they also did the Vinton Company's other mascot. The Noid. Yep. <laughs> And that's not even the only game the Noid was in. Hey, it's a computer game, too. Yeah. Hmm. There's a California Raisin computer game as well. I actually uh, did a stream where I played through the California Raisin prototype for the on the NES. It's actually a pretty decent game. I'll say that. Well, all this being huddled in blankets is making me sleepy. I'm going to... I'm going to go to pass out and have visions of sugar plums in my head or some such. Are, are you sure you want to go to sleep now, James? Because, I mean, I could read uh, uh, Binky Saves Christmas. Hey, kid! <laughs> you, you know, James, um, there is an extra bed upstairs if you want to kind of get away from it all. Thanks, Chrissy. You're welcome, honey. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> and to all a good night. <laughs>
Ah, humbug. The Penny and James got a sort of hopefully funny cartoon podcast. The preceding podcast is a co-production of the Mighty Monkey Corporation and Artificial Orange Studios. The theme song is written, composed, and performed by Shawn Michael Smith.